Have you ever imagined fashion being as diverse as human culture? Have you ever dreamed of a respectful, ethical, and socially just fashion industry? Have you ever envisioned sustainability being at the core of the entire fashion system? This is your host, Laura Beltran-Rubio. I'm a fashion curator, researcher, and educator. My mission is to translate scholarly insights into actionable strategies that we can all take to reshape how we create, wear, and think about fashion. So find a comfortable seat, brew some tea, and open your notebook as you join me in the quest for redressing fashion. Hello! Welcome back to Redressing Fashion, finally! And to the first official episode of the first official season of this podcast. Is it just me or does it feel that the first mini episode slash trailer I released before the end of last year aired a thousand years ago? Or is it because I compulsively aired all of those loose thoughts that I'd been recording for the past two years as additional mini episodes right after that? By the way, if you still haven't listened to them, please do whenever you have a chance. I think they'll give you a much better idea of who I am, the kind of work I do, and more generally how I think about fashion than anything I can say in this one introductory episode. But back to this episode and to this first season of Redressing Fashion. Today, I want to introduce myself and share a bit of what this show is all about, or what I think it's all about. <laughs> I must confess that I'm still trying to figure out both who I am and what I'm trying to do here, but I think I have a general idea of why I started this podcast and why I do the kind of work that I do in and around fashion. So I'm hoping that will give some light on the who and the what of this podcast. Hopefully, we'll be able to refine the details collectively, if possible, as we move along. And I find that super exciting. So I hope you do too. Let me start with what this is all about. I've been thinking about the many meanings of redressing fashion for years now. I'm not really sure when exactly I came up with the expression in, or when it first appeared in my mind, but it must have been sometime in 2019 or 2020 before I presented a conference paper proposal titled Redressing Fashion from the Periphery, in which I presented some initial research on what later became a substantial portion of one of my PhD dissertation chapters. I'll tell you more about it later in some other episode, but the point here is that I've been playing around with the expression redressing fashion and the different ideas and meanings that it conveys for quite a while now. But what does it mean to redress fashion? Being the nerd that I am, I'll start with the dictionary definition. And this actually ties back to the grab your notebook part of the podcast's introduction, which I think also says a lot about the type of person that I am. <laughs> According to the Oxford English Dictionary, to redress is to correct, reform, or abolish a fault or an undesirable state of affairs. As a noun, redress is a reparation or compensation for a wrong or consequent loss. 
And redress, as in dress plus the re prefix, would be the action of dressing again, with dressing itself having different connotations and meanings here as well. So what I mean by redressing fashion is actually a bit of everything denoted by the definition of redress itself. Redressing fashion is finding new ways of dressing ourselves that are more ethical and sustainable. But it is also finding action-based strategies that actively change the direction and basic functionings of the fashion industry so that they are less harmful to both humans and the world that we live in. And redressing fashion is to provide measurable and quantifiable reparations that compensate for the many damages of the fashion industry and the many and often limited and at times wrongful stories that we tell about fashion and that we've been told about fashion. And why me, you might be asking, or why me, Laura, <laughs> shall I say? The answer to this question necessarily requires some sort of quick introduction to who I am. I must confess, though, that I've always hated these introductions, mostly because I never know what to say. The reason I've found out in the past two, three years is that I'm too much of a multi-passionate individual and hate categories more than it's useful at times. So I just struggle too much with trying to define myself with just one professional activity or a few personality traits. So much so that my official biography on my website starts by listing speaker, researcher, writer, curator, and consultant, that's five occupations, <laughs> to introduce who I am. Educator used to be there too, but I removed it when I quit my last university job a few months ago. But now... I know that I should really put it back, not only because I consider myself an educator at heart, but also because I will be starting a new teaching position at a different university in just a few weeks. And by the way, you can find my entire bio and a portfolio on my website, which I'll link to this episode notes in case anyone's interested. But back to the brief introduction. What I speak, research, write, educate, and everything else about is mostly fashion, with occasional ventures in the arts more broadly, needlework, yoga, and equestrian sports. I often say that it all started, or actually my adventures in fashion started about a decade ago when I was an undergrad student in economic history and started pursuing research into the fashion industry. But it might have started much longer ago because I grew up in a family that had already been involved in fashion for generations before me. And even in my own life, I first learned to knit, sew, and embroider when I was a child thanks to my grandmother's job as a teacher of needle arts. My mother and my aunt owned different retail spaces while I was growing up, and through them I learned much of what I know even today about the commercial aspects of fashion. And thanks to their jobs, I also got to travel to New York and see quite the insider's view of its fashion district when they traveled for work and brought me along at least twice a year during my teenage years. But it was until later that my career in fashion started, officially at least. After I received my undergraduate degree in economics, I moved to New York to pursue a master's in fashion studies at Parsons. 
During that time, I had the opportunity to research fashion from a bunch of different angles and actually different expressions of fashion, ranging from European fashion to my now field of specialization in Latin American fashion, especially as a research assistant to Dr. Hazel Clark, whom I admire deeply and who is actually one of the most influential mentors I've had in my entire life. My curatorial career also started when I was living in New York, particularly when I got to assist Rocío Aranda Alvarado in the final stages of preparation and mounting of the exhibition Antonio López Future Funk Fashion at the Museo del Barrio in the summer of 2016, and assisted Femke Spielberg in a bunch of her own curatorial projects, including cataloging thousands of designs for textiles, fashion, and design at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And I think these three working experiences were not only extremely influential for my career, but they also showed me a lot of, first, what I like to do, which is researching and sharing this research with the world, but then also showed me or actually probably just helped me shape this desire that I have of sharing research and sharing academic knowledge with broader audiences and with people even outside traditional academic spaces and hopefully even with people outside museum spaces and just make knowledge as available and as accessible as possible for as many people as possible too. So by 2017, I knew that I wanted to spend even more time doing this kind of work and researching fashion. So I applied to a PhD program with the purpose of writing my dissertation on the history of fashion in the colonial Americas. Last year, I received my PhD from William and Mary with a dissertation titled Empire of Fashion, Luxury, Commerce and Identity in the Viceroyalty of New Granada. And throughout my PhD, I was also very much interested and involved with the digital humanities and I've created a digital companion to my dissertation and future book, which is still very much in progress, but I'll also link it to the show notes in case you want to look it up. Throughout my graduate studies, I've also had the honor to teach hundreds of students from different parts of the world. Most recently as assistant professor at my alma mater, Universidad de los Andes in Bogotá, Colombia, and I've presented my research in a growing number of countries and published my work in academic journals, books, and more popular media, again linked in my portfolio. Through this relatively long academic journey, a few things have become crystal clear to me. First, that we need to build more bridges between the fashion industry and fashion academia. Second, we need to expand knowledge about fashion so that the many insights offered by fashion studies can reach as many people as possible beyond the elitist kind of education offered by universities and academic publications. And third, and most importantly, that fashion needs to be changed, or should I say redressed, for good. 
And I'm using the word good here in a double sense, not just to indicate that fashion should see positive changes, as in good changes, but also that we should strive for them to remain in the long term or, you know, be permanent in some sort of way. All three insights both draw on my previous experiences and contribute to the vision, mission, and values that I've devised for my life. And here I'm talking not just about my professional life, but also about the personal side of my life too. What I think I came to do here in this world. Without getting too lost into the details, I will say that outside academia, I've also had the amazing opportunity to participate in the fashion industry at different levels throughout my career. First as a wholesale intern during my college years, then as a buyer and as a sales executive, and finally as a brand consultant, which is something that I still very actively do all the time. So I know I can navigate between the two worlds of the fashion industry and the fashion academia, and I have started to work very consciously to become a translator between the two, or to kind of embody the bridge myself that I think is missing. And this I've been doing especially since I officially started out as a professor a few years ago, mostly because I realized that many of my students, if not all of them, would actually work in the industry rather than becoming scholars. And in many ways, training them to become hopefully industry leaders meant that I already had to translate scholarly insights and academic discussions into things that are relevant for the industry and for industry members. This also connects to the important value that I assign to building networks, creating connections, and nurturing relationships of different kinds in my life. And there's really nothing I love more than connecting people and connecting ideas with people. It just, I don't know, I feel that, that I never shine as much as I do when I actually foster these connections. So that's also what I'm trying to do here. Throughout my career as a scholar, I've also become more and more aware of the need to create more accessible, diverse, and open access outputs for our research. And I've found them in my work with museums, as I mentioned before, the digital humanities, and public-facing scholarship more broadly. The last two, I think, are very closely connected with wanting to host a podcast. It's not just because I like to talk too much. <laughs> In addition to how I've been using social media for years now and the varied iterations of a blog that I've been publishing for almost 10 years now too. Or maybe even longer than that. I don't even remember when it all started. And they all tie back to the values of community building and creativity that are so important to me. And here's actually another insight that I've earned over the last decade or so of doing research. When I was a kid, I never considered myself a creative person because I felt like I couldn't like, paint, draw, design stuff. But storytelling and writing, even if it's academic writing and research, does require a lot of creativity. So I think I'm trying to hone my creativity here as well. It's, of course, a different output, different nature from writing academic publications, but definitely a creative one nonetheless. And finally, 
there's the need to redress fashion. I'm completely aware that I'm not the only person that can do the work that's required to redress fashion. And to be honest, I sometimes doubt that I'm even prepared or have the necessary knowledge and qualifications for such a massive and life-changing task. But there is one thing I know, which is also perhaps the reason why I do much of what I do in and outside my career in fashion and fashion studies. I truly believe in the possibility of building a better world in and through fashion. And now that I think about it, I think it all comes down to making a difference in fashion, of course, but hopefully also beyond it. Making a difference happens to coincide with the top value in my value hierarchy. Here, I don't really have the time to explain everything that I mean by value hierarchy, but I just want to say that I created mine and learn to use it in my life decisions, in my professional decisions, thanks to a workshop on values-based leadership with Paul Ingram as part of the Center for Curatorial Leadership's educational programming. So if you want to know more about it, I'm linking a couple of resources about Professor Ingram and his work on values-based leadership in these episodes' notes that I hope are useful. Back to making a difference. It is what I value the most in my life and it's also kind of what gives me a sense of purpose in what I do. And as I've grown and navigated, I think, different spaces and lived in different countries um, and in different conditions as well, I've come to learn that to me, making a difference means contributing to creating a better world where poverty and inequality are minimized. In this better world that I envision, Everyone, regardless of their socioeconomic status, cultural background, race, or ethnicity, will be able to thrive as much as they want to and without facing external barriers imposed by stereotypes, colonialist systems, and even, you know, poverty and inequality themselves. In this world, too, we as human beings will learn to live in more harmony with our non-human kin and stop forcing nature to basically eradicate our species for its own good. <laughs> and instead of having to worry most of the time and spending much of our energy trying to find ways to survive in the predatory capitalist system that we currently live in, in the better world that I envision, most people will have their basic necessities covered and won't be threatened by hunger, invasions, violence, of war. So instead, we will all have time to pursue our intellectual interests, enjoy leisure activities, and just live life. But how does fashion enter all of this, you ask? Well, to put it briefly, fashion contributes and has done for centuries to the colonialist order of our world, which has in turn created many of the inequalities and social injustices that we witness today in all corners of the world. And as a result, I am convinced that by redressing fashion, we can also redress the world. That, my friends, is what guides much of my life and professional career. 
And that precisely is what I'm trying to contribute to here. In this podcast, then, you'll find collections of insights I've acquired as I learn, research, teach, and work with brands in the shared mission to create a better future for fashion. You'll find interviews with some of the thought leaders I admire the most in and beyond fashion and whose work is influential to shaping more ethical, diverse, and socially just fashion practices and systems around the world. And you'll find resources, ideas, and action points that you can take to actively participate in redressing fashion, regardless of the space that you occupy in global fashion systems. Here's actually where the silly part about the notebook and the introduction takes hold, because I do hope that you'll want to actually take note of what we discuss in the podcast and find ways to apply it yourself. So please come back in two weeks to see everything that I'm preparing for you. I honestly can't wait to share more. I hope I didn't bore you too much with all my trajectory and my life's values. If you made it all the way here, though, I would like to ask for one little favor in exchange for a small offer. Please rate the podcast and leave a comment on whichever platform you're using to listen to it. As a thank you gift, I will give away one of my 90-minute one-on-one sessions to a lucky winner among the people who leave comments by January 31st, 2024. So don't miss your chance to win this limited time offer and leave your comment now, please. And with that, I sign off for today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And until the next time. Remember, the podcast will be airing on the second and fourth Thursdays of every month. And by following the show, you'll get notified when new episodes become available wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. You know that I love a good conversation about fashion, so please don't hesitate to email me or message me on social media to continue discussing any of the ideas introduced in this episode. If you liked what you heard, please follow the podcast, leave a review, or share it with your favorite fashion friends. It does make a huge difference as we try collectively to build more spaces for thoughtful and nuanced conversations that can truly help us redress fashion.